Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. How many of you recognize that there are spiritual battles that are more significant, more prominent than what we observe in the flesh? Amen. Those weapons of our warfare, they're just not carnal. They don't make any sense to the flesh. To the flesh, it's like, yeah, it's just noise. I just enjoy it. But in the spirit realm, if we could see what was going on, according to the Bible, there literally are angels fighting against us and angels fighting for us. Amen. I'm so glad that we can come into the presence of God and lift our hands and begin to magnify Him. And without a doubt, every time we do that, the tide of that battle begins to move in the right direction. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can return to your seat. Do want to give the highest and greatest honor that I could give my pastor. Amen. He is a great, tremendous man of God. My, my estimation is the, my opinion, which matters highly to me. He's the best preacher to ever step foot in shoe leather. Amen. If you've not, if you're a guest here, so, so we, we are so glad that you're here. But if you've never, never heard Jason Robert Staten preach the gospel, you're missing out on something that will change your life. He's a tremendous, tremendous man of God. We appreciate Pastor and Sister Staten and their family so much. They're on vacation. Amen. And I know they're getting away. Remind you that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I'm sure any way that you can do, anything that you can do for them, they would greatly appreciate. Amen. Thank you, this beautiful congregation. What a great house full of people here. Amen. Someone, someone told me, Brother Roberts, we're going to miss you. And I said, well, that's good because I already miss you. I feel scattered and disengaged. And I've been so privileged to be a great part. Uh, to be, I'm privileged to be any part of this great congregation for the last 37 years. Seems impossible, but I recognize that this is my last op opportunity to stand on a Sunday morning preach to this great crowd, to this great congregation. I feel it has been a privilege. And um, I, I just, I want you to understand how much I love and appreciate you all as the people of God. Um, next Sunday will be our last Sunday as members of Living Hope. But it won't be our last Sunday as members of the kingdom of God. And I'm looking around this room, and I'm calling you, all of you out. You said to me, many of you said, we're going to come visit you in Wisconsin, and if you don't. Brother Silvati and Brother Tyler Williams went out with me last week and thanked them so much for helping in my transition, our transition. Our timeline is this. 
tomorrow they're going to drop a truck off at my house and Tuesday morning we're going to fill it full of stuff. If you're not doing something Tuesday, we certainly could use the help. <laughs> I managed to pull my back out and so pray for me. But when we start making that transition next Sunday will be our last service here and we're excited about what's going to happen but we're also sad over what we're leaving because we recognize what a great congregation you all are. Amen? I mean, and if you're a guest here, you you need to highly consider making this place your home. This is a not just a fantastic pastor, but a fantastic group of people who love the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. I want to read a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture, and I'll let you be seated. I want to say how good it is to have Alyssa with us this morning. Amen. I know she came to see someone. I think she came to see Brother Eric, but we're glad that she's here. Again, to all of our guests, so glad that you're here. So many beautiful faces. Some I haven't seen in a while, some that are here. Amen. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. Surrogacy is not a new idea. Amen. The Old Testament pattern, if the woman couldn't have any children, she would have some surrogate children. And so Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. And verse 3, and Sarah Abraham, and Sarah Abraham's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. The different translation, the New Living Translation says, Abraham, this is all your fault. I've given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. That last verse, and the Lord judged between me and thee. Now, that's not where you want a marriage to be. The NIV says, may the Lord judge between you and me. I'm telling you, I've been married for a minute now, and that's not how I want my marriage to go. Verse 6, Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit, as pleases you. And Sarah dealt hardly with her, and she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her, speaking of Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? Where are you coming from, lady, and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing. I'm running away from the face of that sweet old lady, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return, go back to your mistress and submit thyself into her hands. How many of you think that's a good idea? And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Be'er Lach-Ariel. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Would you lay your Bible down and lift a hand with me this morning? Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over every heart, every mind. God, I pray for the remaining minutes, minutes of this service that you would have your way. God, minister to every heart, every mind. I pray this morning, Father, you would use me to minister to this great group of people. I pray your mercy, your blessing, and your, your goodness in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. According to the Center for Behavioral Health, 20 and a half million Americans abuse opioid pain medicine every year. Since 1999, nearly 841,000 people have died from drug overdose. 2019 alone, 70,360 drug overdose deaths occurred in the United States. Statistically, depression in the United States affects over 18 million adults. That's one in 10 people in any given year. Depression is the leading cause of disability at ages 15 to 44. The statistic would go on to say that depression is the primary reason why someone dies of suicide about every 12 minutes. That equates to 41,000 people a year, a year. In comparison, Homicide claims less than 16,000 lives every year, according to the CDC statistics. The umbrella of depression encompasses major depressive disorders and related mood disorders, including bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, post-traumatic stress syndrome, anxiety disorder, and suicide. In the last two decades, over 800,000 deaths were attributed to suicide alone. This number represents a 33% increase in the suicide rate from the previous two decades. In 2019, a total of 12 million adults in America reported that they had seriously, they had serious thoughts of suicide. 3.5 million people planned suicide. That's almost 1% of our population, and 1.4 million people attempted suicide. In our nation, in America, our divorce rates continue to skyrocket, even though many people have completely given up on the idea of marriage. They say that within five years, 20% of all marriages are over. Ten years, 32%. In 15, or in 15 years, 40% of marriages have failed. And in 20 years, that number reaches 48%. Almost one in two marriages will not last 20 years. Statistically, they tell us that couples who cohabitate tend to stay in relationship nine months longer than those who marry. However we slice this pie, the reality is that relationships are continuing to fail in our country at alarming rates. I could go on and on about statistics, 
They say that over 77% of young people in America have had sex outside of marriage by the time they hit the age of 20. And those statistics are just statistics. They're just numbers on a ledger until it happens to you. They're just all a bunch of meaningless numbers until my name or your name is added to that list. Each year, statistically, the number of, on that page would increase over and over again. But what I find most alarming about statistics is that each one of those numbers represents a person. Those numbers represent people who had dreams. They represent people who have aspirations. They represent men and women and young people who have a desire to have a meaningful life. And the harsh reality is the statistics are more than just numbers. They are people, people that we know, people that even sit in this room this morning. They're people who feel that they no longer can handle the pain of life. They are men and women who are tired of fighting, people who are exhausted and overwhelmed, people that have come to the place where they have no longer have the desire to fight, and simply they throw in the towel, they give up, or they check out. These are people for, who, for one reason or another, no longer feel that they can cope with the demands of daily life, people who have reached the end of their, their rope and seemingly have no alternative. I came to preach to you this afternoon about a young woman by the name of Hagar. Hagar was such a woman, a woman who was caught up in the details of life, many, many of which these details of her life were not her making or her choosing. The Bible simply describes her as an Egyptian servant girl. She was, for all intents and purposes, a captive, a captive to a life that she likely did not choose for herself. I believe that she was caught up in the minutia of two great people, Abraham and Sarah. Hagar didn't have much hope. She probably didn't possess many dreams, but she lived every day in the harsh reality of her life. In our text this morning, Hagar, like many people, is running away from her trouble. She runs to a well in a desert place, and there she has an encounter with the Almighty. I want to tell someone that it's in this circumstance, it's, it's in this setting, that this unlikely young woman, Hagar, uses a term that probably many of you have never heard before. It's a term, El Roy, to describe her encounter with an almighty God. In church this afternoon, many of us are familiar with some of the descriptive and often revelatory names of God. Probably in this room, most of us have heard or at least are familiar with the names of Elohim, Yahweh, and Jehovah. But this morning, I want to share with you the, uh, a descriptive term, a revelatory name of God that was used by Hagar, the name el Rahi. It's spelled E-L-R-O-I. It's not one of those popular names. It's not one of the names that we sing about in our worship songs. In fact, El-Rahi is so seemingly insignificant that the translators didn't even write it out. None of our modern biblical translations render El-Rahi. Instead, the translators simply placed the, the translation of the term into Scripture. Many people in this room understand the God of the Old Testament. The root word El typically refers to God. But the other part, the Ra'i, the R-O-I, in the original Hebrew is translated as shepherd or seeing or looking or even gazing. And so in this, in this context, in this setting, El-Rahi brings a, a different, a, a more elaborate attribute of our God to the equation. Because simply put, El-Rahi means the God who sees. 
Hagar, the simple slave girl, the nobody from nowhere. She shares with us a great revelation of the Almighty God. I want you to understand that El Rahi simply means the Lord sees. I want you to know that he sees everything. There's nothing that escapes the God of heaven. He sees it all. Can I get a witness in this house? The eyes of the Lord. Come on. The writer in Proverbs said it this way in Proverbs 15 and 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. They're beholding. They're keeping watch. He's looking out for good and he's looking out for evil. I know, I know we, we talk about Santa Claus and we said you better be good because he's watching day and night. But Santa Claus isn't really watching. I, I'm sorry to blow somebody's bubble up this morning, but you need to understand that there is nothing that God does not see. For this simple woman, for this young woman, Hagar, it wasn't just a matter that God could see or even the fact that God was aware. But in this translation, Hagar is literally saying, God sees me. I believe that Hagar could no longer cope. I believe that she didn't have family to run to. There were no neighbors were open doors. There was no church for her to get away from. Hagar, in reality, had no place of refuge. And the, the truth of the matter is Hagar had no safety. She had no, she had no place to run for security. And so she does what so many of us have done before or after her. She simply ran away. She did whatever she could to separate herself from the pain that was filling her life. And this, this morning, is where we pick up the story. The angel of the Lord finds her at a well. I want you to understand that no matter what you think or even how you feel, the Almighty God, the creator of heaven, the giver of life, sees you. I'm preaching to somebody that God doesn't just see pain, he sees your pain. God doesn't just see wounds, he sees your wounds. God doesn't just see trouble, he sees your trouble. God doesn't just see people. He sees you and he calls you by name. I want you to understand it's not just the big pain or just the major pains. He sees every little bit of trouble that you deal with. I came to preach the living hope that the God of, the God of heaven, the creator of earth, is aware of your struggle. He sees your distress. He understands your discomfort. Oh, come on, somebody. God knows every bit of anguish that you're dealing with. He sears the fear. He understands the trepidation. He is an all-seeing God. He sees so that he might show us compassion. He sees because he understands that he alone is the one who can provide comfort for us in any setting of life. Many of the more Familiar names for God in the scripture are used over and over. But El-Rahi is only used in this one particular place in scripture. And for my perspective, at least, it comes from a very unusual source. I would have thought that some great man or some great woman of God would be the one that gives us re revelation. But for those that are not familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, the father and the patriarch of the Jewish nation, found himself now nearing the age of 100 and still childless. 
We understand that years before, God has promised him a child, a son that would one day form a great nation. But as the years pass, Abraham and Sarah are having difficulty buying into the promise without children. I understand that. From my, from my perspective, it's very difficult to be the father of a nation when you have no children. And so Abraham and Sarah, in their humanity, have become impatient and decide to take matters into their own hands. And per the suggestion of his wife, Sarah, Abraham marries Hagar, the little girl, the little slave girl, and conceives a child with her. Now, I began to look at this story, and I've preached from this story, taught from this story, read this story, but Hagar, the simple slave girl, becomes pregnant. And so, at least in my mind, what, when Hagar does what Sarah cannot do, well, that is how the fight started, as they say. Sarah's plan blows up in her face. Sarah's great plan backfires and creates an obvious and yet enormous rift between two women in one house. Now, my mama told me you can't have two cooks in a kitchen. I've seen that firsthand. It's just not a real good idea. But I'm certain this goes without saying a lot more serious with having two women and one man. But according to our text, Hagar begins to despise Sarah. The servant girl begins to look down on the one with whom she's tasked with serving, and Sarah isn't having any of it. And so Sarah does what most women would do in this situation. She makes life hard. The Paul Harvey version, or the rest of the story, would say it this way, she was abusive to young Hagar. So Hagar, in her situation, no longer able to cope, no longer able to deal with Sarah's pain, no longer able to deal with the wrath and the mistreatment, Hagar runs away. And she runs to a well in the middle of nowhere, and the angel of the Lord finds her there. You see, God sees Hagar when no one else sees her. To Abraham and to Sarah, Hagar's not really a part of their story. To them, she's just property. Hagar's nothing more than a pawn in their story. She isn't even, according to the word of God, a part of their promise. And there, from their perspective, she's just, she's just expendable. But Hagar gets a revelation at that well that God is aware of her situation. Oh, come on, somebody. I, I can only imagine how she felt. I can only imagine what she was going through. But she's there at that well and the angel of the Lord. I don't know about you, but as I begin to look through the Bible, every time I find a woman at a well, ladies, y'all, if you get in trouble, you better find a well. Can I tell somebody? Can I tell somebody the house of God is still a well? The house of God is still a source of... Can I tell somebody the altar is a place uh, where you can get refreshing and renewing? Uh, I don't know what trouble you're in. Uh, I don't know what circumstance, but there's still a God who meets people at a well. Uh, there's still a God who comes uh, to the place of source. Uh, he will bring whatever you need. I think the Bible said it this way, spring up, oh well. We ought, to be, we ought to be the people that run into the house of God because this is a well. This is the source of refreshing. This is the place where the righteous, come on, the Bible said it this way, we have an altar. 
Ah. But from Hagar's perspective, she was amazed. She says to God, not just that she's not just surprised that God shows up at the well, but she's surprised in the fact that God is aware of her situation. He, she says, God, you really see me. Lord, you truly understand what's going on in my life. Uh, I want someone to understand. Uh, I may not understand. Uh, so the person next to you may not truly understand, but there's a God in heaven. Uh, there's a Savior. There's still... He understands. He knows right where you are. He knows every circumstance. He knows every situation. He knows all of your pain. The Bible says he was acquainted with grief. He understands exactly what you're going through. There are two specific things that happen in our text this morning for Hagar. First, I believe that it's reasonable to understand that Hagar, she would have thought nothing of the fact that God saw Abraham. She would have thought nothing of the fact that God saw Sarah. But to get the understanding that God sees her. We come to church and we don't think, well, man, I, I can understand how God sees pastor or, or I can see how, how God sees brother and sister. I, I can see how God sees them. But somehow we get in that place where we don't really believe that God sees me. Uh, and so he, she is amazed that God is aware of her circumstance, that God is aware of her situation. But then she turns around and shares a revelation. She says, not only does God see me, But I can see God. Oh, God. you see, if you want to see God, you first got to believe that God can see you. You're not gonna, you're not gonna see the Lord until you can believe that. Here she is, stuck at a well, nowhere to go, no idea what's going to happen, and God showed up and said, "Hagar." He didn't say, who are you? He didn't say, what's your name? He called her by name. He said, Hagar, I see you. And she turns around and she says, not only, Brother Alberti, can I, can I, can, does God see me? But now I can see God. I want somebody to know whatever you brought into this place today, whatever pain and anguish and circumstance you're dealing with, God sees you. But not only that, before you leave here today, you can see God. Oh. It's one thing for God to see us. But when we see him, <laughs> Isaiah the prophet was just another nondescript prophet. Oh, he was a big dude because he was the prophet for the king. But up until this point, he's got no claim to fame, nothing spectacular about his story until King Uzziah dies. And he says, hey, I saw the Lord. Hi. And lift it up. Somebody here, I'm trying to give you a principle and a precedent from Scripture. Listen, it can be easy to think that God does not know who you are or where you are or what you're going through. It... Let, me, let me go. To... 
it can be easy to think that God has forgotten about me or that God simply doesn't see me. But I want someone to know if you'll just open your eyes and look back behind you, you can see the hand of God. You can see the fingerprint of God. So, Hagar, you're not just another little servant girl. You're a person to me. You matter to me. Come on. I want to preach to some moms that are struggling in this house. I want to preach to some dads that are feeling overwhelmed in this place. I want to preach to some people that don't under. Oh, you're coming to church. You're clapping your hands. You can dance on tune. I can't because my back's thrown out this morning. You got the beat right, but you don't really believe that God sees you in the middle of your circumstance. And so you got to do what little Hagar did. You go down to a well and you sit down and go, boo hoo, boo hoo, boo hoo. And the angel of the Lord is on his way. And when he gets to your well, when he gets to your problem, when he gets to your situation, not only is he going to be there, but he's going to call you by name. God sees you. God knows your circumstance. God knows exactly what you're going through. Oh, I can look back, Sister Lawrence, all those years ago. Sit down a moment. I was, I'm not sure if I should share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Got this picture, Sister Lawrence. There's Brother Barr and Brother Lyon, Brother Ryle, Bishop. There's me standing there. And I've seen all these guys come through the church all these years, and all those guys went somewhere else, did something else. And I told a few of you this. And I didn't have no bad feelings about it, Brother Josh. I didn't, I was, I'm happy being here. I love, I love this church. But there were times, Brother Junior, where I felt, you know, God just forgot about me. He just left me here to be a helper, just left me here to do my thing. And I, I wasn't upset about that. I wasn't okay. I, I wasn't mad about that. I, I, if the Lord left me here till I died, that would be just fine with me. I love living hope. I'm not saying anything negative. But there's sometimes, just out of nowhere, would come this feeling that God had forgot about me. <laughs> well, then about... Just a couple of months ago, I got a text message, and God said, listen, young man, I, I see you. I see you. I know you. And he, ah, uh, this ain't about me. This is about you. God knows your name. He knows where you're living. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pain. Don't you ever. Every box I've carried up out of that basement, I thought to myself, Brother Trey, I told my wife, I said, we love this house. We went looking in Wisconsin for a house like we got, and we can't find one just like it. We love that house. That house was made specifically for us. And every box I carried up out of that basement, I thought to myself, I had been feeling like this. I'm going to die right here. I'm okay with that. I'm not... I'm not being, I'm not trying to be rude. I know, but I was fine. I love Living Hope. I love Southern Maryland. I love this church, and I'm fine with that. But somewhere in the back of God's mind, God said, you know what? I know you, and I know. Yeah, come on. Oh, no. Help me up here. God is not a respecter of persons. He, 
One name does not matter more than the other. One life does not matter more. God sees you. He sees your pain. Oh, I wish somebody would accept the fact that, well, I'm just a little. No, you're not. You're a child of the king. You're a servant of God. God knows your name. Yes, he does. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. Let me give you three facts about El Roy. You can count on God's faithfulness. I've looked back over the past, and some of you have done the same thing, and you see the details of how God was moving in your life. In the moment, it's easy to feel like God's abandoned us. In the middle of your storm, it can feel like God has fallen asleep and your boat's about to capsize. Let me tell you something, brother and sister, that every disciple watched Jesus get on the boat. None of them missed the fact that he was on the boat. They were very aware that the miracle worker was taking a nap, and still, when the storm came, they felt abandoned. Master... Carest thou not that we perish? They had to go wake him up. The psalmist said it this way in Psalms 32 and 7 of God. He said, thou art my hiding place. You're the place that I run to. You're going to preserve me from trouble. You're going to compass me about with songs of deliverance. El Rai sees me. He's my shelter. He's my protection. He's my hiding place in the storm. He's my... I see good people, people that love God, people that go to church, and they hide themselves in discouragement. They surround themselves with their problems with their situation, and they don't feel like anybody can see them at all. And this was Hagar. I believe she was having the biggest pity party. She probably had Eric playing the drums for her. Pity, pity, patter, patter, pity, pity, patter, patter, pity, pity. She was having a pity party. She had been treated wrong. There's no doubt about that. She was, listen, you got to understand that. And God showed up in the middle of her storm and said, listen, that's not your hiding place. I I see you, and I am your hiding place. I am your source. I am your well. I am your place of protection. Just over a month ago, just over a month ago, I stood in a funeral home trying to comfort a family for a good friend of mine Young lady, 34 years old. Brother Brett, 34 years old. She left an eight-year-old daughter behind. But somehow she got to the place where she could no longer cope with the pain of life. Somehow she got to the place where she, she had no place to go. I stood there heartbroken, trying my best to minister to that family. But I want you to understand, you're coming to this church just being in the house of God. You can still hide in your disillusionment. You can still hide in your pain. You can still hide in unbelief. You can hide in apathy and complacency. But I want someone to know you've got to run into the hiding place. You've got to go into the hiding place. 
Brother Trey, come here. Come here. Now let's pretend. Pretend like pretend. I got a hiding place right here. And it's a perfect hiding place. If I hide in that place, nobody can see me. Nobody can see me. It's the hiding place of the Lord. I'm protected. I'm cured. But that hiding place does me no good as long as I stand here and tell Brother Trey about my hiding place. <laughs> Brother Roberts, that's simple. No, no, it's not simple. It's truth. In order to hide, you've got to get into the hiding place. <laughs> You can tell anybody you want to about it, but until you make a step, <laughs> until you get, does that make sense to you? The hiding place does you no good as long as you're hiding in the middle of your circumstance. Thank you, Brother Trey. But if you'll run, if you'll run, David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the hiding place. Lead me to the security that is higher than I have. He's a faithful God. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to protect you. But El Rai, not just the hiding place, he's a healing place. Now, you've met these people. And there's some of them go to church here. And some more are on their way. When they see something, they just got to tell everybody about it. Blah, 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 blah. You met them, right? Did you hear? Josh, did you know about that person? Did you know about that? I, you know, I know about them. They, they have an eagerness for knowledge. They want to see everything. Why? Because knowledge is power. But God doesn't see just so he knows. Mm -mm. He sees so that he can do something about it. He doesn't see just so he can hold it against you. He doesn't see so he can bring it up. He sees, right? Because why? He sees the emotionally broken. Why? Because... If he only saw the emotion and walked on, he could look down his nose, and, but that's not how God does. Hagar was doing the only thing she knew how to do. She ran away. She ran to a well. She ran to a source. But Jesus, go back and read that old that New Testament. Jesus sees the, the psychology, the, the psychological damage people. He sees the spiritually destitute. He sees the fragmented people. Listen, when we see God who sees us, we're choosing to accept our brokenness instead of bitterness. Old brother Job lost everything he had and his family, and he was left with a bitter spouse. Now, forgive me for being human, but I'd have been like, Lord, why'd you leave her? That, that was an ugly woman. I mean, she was terrible. She was no help me to Job. She wasn't out right. But listen, Job, Job loses everything. But he knew that God not only saw what he was going through, he knew that God was the, God was the key for his deliverance. 
I want to run to the hiding place. I want to get in the place of safety. I want to get to where there's security and shelter and help and hope. Hagar runs away because that's all she knew how to do. But as a child of God, I got to run back to the place where... Word, Brother James, is a covering. It's a shelter. That word just comes in our life and it shelters us and covers us. And I see people that get into the trouble and they do anything but come to church. Because they know God sees them. And they know God knows their mistakes. And they know God knows their failures. And so they feel like because God sees them, they can't come into the house of God. And so they do like Hagar. They run to something else. Brother Jones, they run to substance abuse. They run to alcohol abuse. They run to another relationship. They run and they run and they run and they run. But as the people of God, we've got to know we've got a place that we can run You need to run into the house of God. You need to run where the man of God or the woman of God can cover you with the word. You need to run where there's forgiveness. You need to run where there's healing. You need to run where there's restoration. You need to run where God is saying, I see, but I want you to see me. Because seeing God, you see his ability. Can you come to Wisconsin in two weeks? (laughs) When God sees me, it's a comfort. Because that's what we do when we get in trouble. We want to tell somebody. Why? Well, not just because misery loves company. That's usually the reason. But when I know, Brother Brett, that God sees me... (laughs) Trey, you said this morning, he can't help himself. He is a faithful God. And when he sees misery, he's not coming to bring company. He's coming to bring relief. He's coming to bring help. He's coming to bring hope. He's coming to bring deliverance. He cannot help himself. He's not looking because he's a busybody. He wants to see you because he loves you and he cares about you. Oh, he's going to show up in the middle of your storm and he's going to call you by name. Let me move on. The Bible says God even knows the very hairs on our head. Can you imagine that? God doesn't just stop at seeing, but he knows out of the billions of people in the world, he understands more about us than we do. And so while in this place the term L-R-I is used in Scripture, this is the only place it's used, and yet there are numerous examples of God seeing those who society chose not to see. 
The New Testament, Jesus saw the plight of leopards. Jesus saw the sinners, but he didn't stop at seeing the halt and the lame and the blind. He did not just notice. He didn't pass by like the Levite and the priest, but what he did was he stopped and he involved himself because he is the good Samaritan. Just like God did for Hagar, God involved himself into her situation. Jesus healed the leopards. Jesus put sight to the blind. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus saw a woman, Brother Steve, who because of her shame could only come to the well in the hottest part of the day. And so because he said, I see her, but it's not enough that I see her. I want her to see me. So he sent 12 men to get lunch for 13 because he had to have a conversation with an outcast Samaritan woman at a well. Society had marginalized this woman over her past. But Jesus made a point of meeting her in the middle of her shame. Jesus showed up with her disappointment. You need to, listen, she had to see Elrai for herself. She needed to see that God was involved in her situation. Now, her words, she goes back to her village and she says, Come and see the man who sees everything. Come and see the man who knows everything. We don't want people to feel like we're going through stuff, we don't want them to know. How are you today? I'm good. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. And you, your life is falling apart. You don't have enough hands to pick up the pieces. Travesty. Terrible stuff happening in your life. There are people that are dealing with stuff in this room, and you're unsure of what direction to go. How's this going to work out? What's going to happen here? I come to preach about El Rahi, the God who sees, but he doesn't just stop at seeing. Not only is he faithful, he's going to involve himself. Everybody else saw the lepers and went to the other side of the street. Why? Because they're yelling out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And Jesus couldn't pass by. When he saw the situation, he walked up and said, what would you have me to do? And the leper said, I would be made whole. And because... He's not just a God who sees, but he's a God that wants you to see him. He said, thy faith has made thee whole. Oh, somebody hear this preacher today. There's a God who sees your circumstance. There's a God who knows your pain. There's a God who understands. Oh, Hagar. Hagar. Little handmaid, she's so amazed that God sees her. God's seeing the rejection, God's seeing the situation. God sees the bitter situation. God saw, He was not just aware of her plight, but He He didn't stop there. God said, Hagar, you're gonna have a baby. And that baby is going to become a nation all by itself. Not only is he faithful, not only does he just not stop at seeing, he could have made her feel good about herself. He could have met her at the well. 
you going to help me preach? She is so adorable. She's so cute. But he doesn't stop there. She's a nobody from nowhere. She don't have no heritage. She don't have nothing going for her. She, but God said, I'm going to give you a promise. Right in the middle of destruction. Right in the middle of her turmoil. Right in the middle of her pain. God said, not only do I see you, but I'm going to let you see me. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a promise. Oh, I come to preach somebody today. Not only does God see you, not only does God allow you to see him, but God's got a promise for you, Hagar. You may... The world may have given up on you. Adam, uh, Abraham, and Sarah may have given up on you. They may cast you aside like there's nothing, but God has got a promise for your life. God, he's not done with you. He's not done with your life. Well, I'm just a nobody going nowhere. I got nothing going on. If God sees you and allows you to see him, God's got a promise for your life. Well, Andre, I was one month past my 19th birthday. My peach fud had peach fuzz. I was a kid when I walked into a little apostolic church and made my way down the corridor. I walked in, that fiery, crazy, red-headed preacher was preaching. 37 years and God sees me 37 years and God's not giving up on me through all of my failure through all of my trouble and God said you know what now's the time when I'm ready to retire when I want a golf course and a condo God said I got a promise for you oh I wish somebody would hear the word of God today God is not going to stop at seeing Hagar I got a promise for you you feel like nobody sees you feel like nobody knows but I have got a promise for you we are okay oh God took away my addiction God got rid of the cigarettes and the alcohol and I don't cuss at all we're okay with that. But God said, I'm not finished there yet. The world may, even the church may not want you, but I have got a promise. In, oh, I wish somebody would receive this in the Holy Ghost. I got a promise. This promise is unto you and to your children, as many as the Lord. Are, come on, to every generation. There's a promise. There's a promise. I can't imagine how Hagar felt. It wasn't her idea. Hagar didn't say, hey, Sarah, how about we do this? Hagar didn't say, hey, Abram, how about, how about we do, do this? I'm going to help you out here. None of this was her idea. She was a victim of circumstance. It was a tragic situation that were made by human people full of error. God did not assign blame, but God found her at a well. He found her at a source, and he called her by name, and he said, Hagar, listen, I see you. I know what you're going through. I understand your pain, but I'm not going to stop there at your pain. I want you to see me, and the way that you see me is through promise. God's got a promise for every person in this church. You may feel like no one sees you. You... 
Oh, you may feel like no one knows who you are, but don't give up on God because God's not giving up on you. Oh, you ought to clap your hands. Somebody ought to stand and receive promise. God's got a promise for you. Oh, I just can't believe it, preacher. You better believe it. God is not a respecter of persons. He's got promise in your life. Now, let me clarify. It may not be what you think it. He, not, he may not fulfill every dream that you want, but an almighty God has got a plan for your life. He's got a promise, and he cannot fail. Oh, he cannot fail. Her society had given up on her. Her own people threw her away like trash. She was a nobody, a simple handmaid, another failed experiment. None of it was her idea. Listen, when you feel you're most vulnerable, when you feel like you're invisible, you can find hope in the fact that God sees you. There's a power in knowing that he's aware, he's aware and that you're seen by God. There's no indication that Hagar has any type of relationship with God. But when she meets El-Rahi, that invisible woman, forgotten by everybody else. Listen, God said, I got a promise for you. Look to Jesus. Every opportunity, he's still the king. Jesus. Uh, he, he, could have had the, he could have had the great life. Well, Josh, he, he could have hung out with the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he could, he could have been well-to-do. He could have had money. He could have been the ultimate up-and-comer. But Jesus chose to devote his time to what society perceived to be the lowest of the lows. Jesus spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He encouraged and supported the six. That's who he is. What made Jesus different wasn't just that he saw them, but he allowed them to see him. He saw everyone who'd been pushed to the sideline. He saw all the marginalized. He didn't just see them. He spoke with them. He ate dinner with them. He loved them, and he healed them. But God has got a promise for your life. Hagar, was an, she wasn't an heir of anything. She had no legal claim to any promise. But God said, oh, listen, i got something for you right now. He's got, he's got a promise of hope for the lost and the hurting. He promises his spirit to overcome depression. He, I can't even tell you how many marriages that I am personally aware of that he's put back together. Don't. Well, I, I just came. I just came. Come play something, Sister Maddie. Notice this. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. Part of he begins to describe his ministry, and he says this way: I'm going to. He said, "My ministry, a part of what I've come to, set at liberty them that are bruised." You know what a bruise is? It's an impact. You get impacted by something. I won't hurt your feelings. If I, if I, you know, anybody ever been in the military? Well, they put on your crowed. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? They're pinning on you. The Marines pin on a pin and punch it into your chest. The, the Navy guys, they put a new crow on, and everybody punches them as hard as they can in their arm. I'm really fair-skinned. 
I was black and blue all the way down to my elbow and up to my neck every time. I almost didn't want to get promoted. But what happens when you're bruised? You can't function. That arm becomes sore, and I couldn't lift it and move it. It took a few days for that liberty to come back. The ministry of Jesus Christ is to set at liberty them that are bruised. But the Hagars of this world think, oh, that's, that's good for the Jones family. Them people got it all together. It's good for, it's good for them, all the Selvies. They... God could put liberty in their life, but because they got, oh, God can, Angelita, well, God can almost maybe put. And that's how we think. That's how we think. But according to the word of God, he's come to set at liberty those that have been impacted by this world. What are you talking about, Jesus? He's come to put freedom back in your life. Not freedom that you can run a marathon, but freedom that you can see him. Freedom that turns your heart and your mind to a place of worship instead of worry. Freedom that removes every spirit of addiction and allows the blessing of his goodness into your life. Can I tell someone there is an El Rai? One place, Brother Junior, it was so insignificant that they didn't even translate it. They just put the translation in. And yet I find throughout Scripture that everywhere God showed up in a situation and somebody was feeling bad about their situation because that's what we do, God said, listen, I see you. I see you. There's just got to be some comfort in the fact that no matter what you're going through right now, God is aware. But just, just one step further, isn't just God aware, but God lets you see him. And when you begin to see his majesty and his might and his power, it'll start building faith in your life that you can overcome anything. Oh, Brother Roberts, you know, you've been in this a long time. Yeah, I still got issues. I still got things I'm working on. I still got times when I don't feel like anybody sees me. But when I do, I've got a, I've got a hiding place. I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got an altar that I can run to. I've got a place, a hiding place that I can get into and get away from all of the discouragement and say, God, I know you see what I'm going through. Why? Because I see the precedent in Scripture that he sees. And every time that I've run, I can promise you, 37 years now, but every time I get in that hiding place, not only am I safe, not only am I secure, but when I get there, Sister Lawrence, there's a reminder of his promise. There's a reminder of his love. There's a reminder of his mercy. Oh, I wish somebody would find an El Rai this afternoon. I wish somebody would find a place in the Spirit of God. I wish somebody oh, stand with me this afternoon. Jesus, we love you. In our most desperate moments, Hagar, he sees you. I look back, Brother James, I see the fingerprints of God all over my life. I couldn't see him at the time, but he's got a future. He's got a promise. He's not going to stop seeing you.
not even for a second. When Rachel was a little girl, we lost her. Terrible parents. We were shopping in pennies. Looked around, and that little curly-haired thing was gone. baby the emotion I felt I lost my child they began to shut the store down and we began to run and people were going everywhere and this was this was early this was back in the 80s and we were terrified for just those moments it seemed like an eternity I'm sure it wasn't come around the corner and there's little Rachel laying on the floor right in front of this great big Winnie the Pooh. Part of me wanted to snatch her up and do what we used to do to children. But the other part of me was so glad to see her. So glad that I could just, oh, there's my baby. I, I was so terrified. That's what we need to be in the presence of God. You're so lost in your circumstance. You're so lost in your situation. You're, it's covering you up. But when you get in the hiding place, I promise you this, Jesus Christ will be waiting there on you. He's happy to see you. He's relieved like a parent who's lost a child. When you, find, when you get in that place, I'm going to open this altar up. I wonder if there's somebody who's going through something today who would be honest and would come to an altar and say, you know what, I'm so glad there's an El Rai. There's a God that sees. People don't understand. They can't understand, but God does. God knows. He's so excited to see you. When you come to an altar and lift your hands and begin to let him see you and see him, he is so excited. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.